it is an honor. It is indeed an honor for us to have children in the church. That's the only hope of our future. And so when you have children in the church, that means you have marks on the walls and that means you have some things that just happen. And I would rather have that. And I'm not promoting the destruction of property, but I would rather, for all the children that are listening, I would rather have that than that, not to have any children. The, the, the Bible makes this implication, a very strong implication, that when you have oxen in a stall, that there is proof of that oxen being in the stall. So when you have children in the house, there's proof of children in the house. And so they cry out every now and then. And, and you know what? Regardless of what you think, <clears throat> children today are no different than they've ever been. And they're not any different than your children were. And uh, you know, everybody thinks that somehow we look back at rose-colored glasses. Well, my children weren't that way. Okay. <laughs> so be it. They weren't that way to you. It, their cries didn't annoy you. <laughs> Don't mean they didn't annoy somebody else. <clears throat> but we love children, and we're very, very honored to have them and, uh, and to be here at this, this incredible moment in time. Uh, for us, this is a grand feeling because uh, 25 years ago, uh, Amy wasn't uh, just but a little girl herself. And so to see this is an incredible experience for us. I want to take just a few minutes and turn your attention to the book of Judges, chapter 13. And I want to just challenge the hearts of this mother and this father, their family members in this church and uh, because it is a joint effort. It really is a joint effort. The book of Judges 13 and 8, the Bible says, Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she said in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and he came and came to the man. And he said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And here is the question of the hour. Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child, and how shall we do unto him? Manoah asked the question that every parent should ask in the beginning, but ultimately at some point will ask. And that is, how shall we order the child? A more literal interpretation of that phrase is, what kind of law do we raise him under? The point of the passage is rather simple. When God gives us children, they are ordered or they are to be raised with direction. I have heard people say, well, I'm just going to let my children decide what they're going to do about God. My goodness. If we were to take that philosophy into every other scope of life, do you understand how tragic that would be in the end. I'll let my children decide whether or not they'll get an education. I'll let my children decide whether or not they'll live moral lives. I'll let my children decide whether or not they'll be truthful 
How tragic and dangerous that would be. David, I believe, picks up this analogy in the 127th Psalm. Psalms 127, 3, 4, and 5 says this, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. And so make no mistake about it, the lives of our children will be shot in some direction by parents. Parents will set the trajectory of their children, good, bad, or ugly. And so if you take a passive position, you're still setting their trajectory. If you find yourself somewhere in the muddy middle, you're still setting their trajectory. Or if you become a proactive parent, thank God, an involved parent, you are setting their trajectory. And so that's why we must be proactive. Paul described our times with one one word, Paul summarized up the hour in which not only he was living in, but the hour prophetically he spoke that we would be living in. And he said of our times with one word, perilous, perilous times. And so this is uh, all, all the more a call for parents to take a stand because this is perilous times, uncertain times. It's, it's an unbelievable hour. Who would have dreamed? I speak... And represent uh, just one demographic in this building today. But I am not the only generation that is in this house that would stand and say, Who would have ever dreamed that we would have lived long enough to see some of the things not only suggested in our world, but see some of the things that are just in your face in the world. It's not just sin, but abomination. Not, not just something a little bit wrong, but out and out. Uh, Lord, we just need your anointing to help us to, to, to clear the lens. And so we need parents that will take a stand and that refuse to just go along with the crowd and pop culture. And if we consider the, the time of our text was written, it was certainly an hour of chaos, and, and that gives us some insight then to where Manoah was standing. Manoah was praying in an hour of great turbulence and turmoil. And, and he asked the angel of the Lord, how shall we order the child? In this hour of confusion, in this hour of rampant sin of 2014, it's incumbent upon us as parents to say, well, we're not just worried about clothes on their back, shoes on their feet and shelter, but we're worried about how shall we order the child? How shall we raise the child? Something I know not necessarily from my own experience as a father, but certainly what I know from the standpoint of a pastor and shepherd, and that is that you cannot raise Gage by the same measure that you raise Case because they are two different individuals. And, for example, one, you may just be able to guide with your eyes. <laughs> while another may take just a little bit more. Shall I leave it there? And so we need to pray and ask God, how do I raise this child? We can read all the books that we want to read, and certainly I would not be against that, but in the end, we need to find ourselves on our knees and say, God, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you, you made this child. Now help me to be able to raise them and set that trajectory.
So in these perilous times, we need parents that are not afraid to stand against the prevailing winds of our day. And we say, Lord, we're going to trust you. And in light of this, we have several things to consider. First, we need to pray for God's help in guiding our homes. We are trying to lead our children in a predominantly dark world. And I'm not here to just be negative, but it is what it is. And so we're trying to... We're trying now to raise our children in a predominantly dark world. So parents must be proactive when it comes to making sure the lights are on. We've got to make sure that that may be what they're doing down the road. And that may be what's going on over here. But here is different. This is our home. And so we're going to make sure that the lights are on. And it's a dark world. And there's a lot of uncertainty. But here, our homes should be refuge. Our homes should be peace. Our Homes should be a place of hope. And our children ought to always want to come back home. Come back home. Home ought to represent to them not something they can't wait to turn 18 and get away from. While there is a yearning in every in every person at that point of their life to move on with their lives and to find the next chapter in a, perhaps a soulmate and a family of their own, there ought to be fond memories of home. When I talk about fond memories of home, I'm not just talking about mama's biscuits in the morning. And I, I'm not just talking about uh, hunting trips with dad. But there ought to be the, the predominant memory of home for our children when they think back ought to be safe. Safe. There's safety there. I can find refuge there. and I, It's not just a place to get in out of the weather. And so you have a whole lot of responsibility our, ch- our children are born inherently sinful. And I know that's not a popular thought, but it's true. We are born with an, at the nature of Adam. Solomon said that, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That's what, that's what Solomon said. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so that's why when you, we find our children doing foolish things, and when we were children, we did foolish things, and, and when we were caught, and when we were, when we were, the authority was standing in front of us, whoever that may have been, or whatever that may represent, and they said, why did you do this? We were really serious when we said, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you were just sharp enough as a child to have been able to memorize Proverbs 22 and 15 and just quote that to your parents when they said, why did you do this? You could say, because foolishness is bound up in my heart. I hope Zach is not listening right now. He will quote that. It's there. It's there. And so Solomon said, and the answer for this is the rod of correction shall drive that far from him. Paul speaks of his struggle with his own nature, and I'm so thankful that he spoke freely about that. Paul said this, this, and we all relate to this. And don't get lost in this King James language, but find yourself here. Romans 7 and 18, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. It's there, I just can't get my hands. I know what's right, but I just struggle doing what's right. Why? Because I have all of this Adamic nature and this foolishness bound up, woven into the fabric of who I am by birth and I struggle. And Paul was saying this not as an adolescent. Paul wasn't saying this uh, as a preteen. Paul was saying this as a grown man and a minister of the gospel. 
In verse 19, he said, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. It's just there. And so we struggle with this. And so, and so while our children have this predisposition towards sin, we are called upon to teach differently. To say, no, that can't happen here. That can't happen here. Secondly, children need parents and not pals. <laughs> I want to tell you it's a sad thing in our day, and I'm not suggesting it's never been until now. I'm sure it's been evident throughout history, but it's a sad thing when parents are trying to be pals because they're so afraid their children won't love them. I understand that to a degree, but let me give you something larger that to think about. If you always just try to be their best friend, they may love you for a season, but they will not respect you in the end. And so you would much rather have their love for you come and go, but their respect for you remain the same. One day, whether they say it or not, they're not going to love you. Or that's going to be their perception at the moment. They're going to wish you were someone else. They're going to wish somehow they could have mystically had another father, another mother. But if you hold fast in the end, they're going to say, you know what? That fellow was right. That lady was right. And for that, I respect them. And so as parents, we have the responsibility to teach our children the fear of the Lord. And that sometimes is very difficult because they have a will of their own. But if a parent does not instill respect in the child for that rule of order then there is no hope for them because rule is everywhere and in every aspect of life. And so if they have no respect for the rule of order in the home, then they're going to run into problems the first place they go, and that will be school. Amen. And so there has to be a respect for the rule of order in the home. And, and when they learn that there are yeses and noes at home, then that then when they get there and hear that at school, that's just going to sound like mom and dad. And we understand that. There is an ultimate authority. And you know what? All of that can be done without anger. Because if you have to scream in order to get anything done, you are not in charge. You are not in charge. And so as parents, we bear the responsibility to also teach children about the respect for the house of God because the church is here to help. We're all on the same team. From children's church ministries to Sunday school ministries, student ministries, even to adult ministries. We're all on the same page. We're all ultimately going the same place. And so we want to make sure that we're all on the same team. And so if you degrade everybody around you, their Sunday school teachers, their youth leaders, if you, if you destroy their confidence in children's church administrators, then, then what you're really doing is you're chipping away at the foundation of your own house. Your own house. Our role as parents often require us to wear multiple hats. When, they're children, when they are children, our role is a protector and a provider and, and a ruler. But you know what? As our children get older, they don't necessarily need us to protect them so much. And, and hopefully they don't need us to be a provider so much. And Hopefully they don't need us to be a ruler so much, but they, they will need a mentor. They will need a friend. And they're going to carry things as you carry them in your adulthood. They're going to carry things from you into your adulthood. 
As parents, we're called on to be proactive. I, I mentioned that a moment ago. We have to think around the corner, over the hill, into next week, into next year, and where we're going to be. And there's many lessons that must be taught. Solomon gives us some of them, and I'm not going to belabor the issue, but Solomon gives us some of this great insight in the 22nd chapter of the book of Proverbs. And I'm going to go through just a few of these verses. But here's some things that ought to be taught to our children, not just how to be baseball stars, football stars, how to be, uh, how to be this and that and the other in the eyes of the world. But here, here is what Solomon said in Proverbs 22 and 1. He said, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so this verse teaches our children about the value of character. Just have character. Have a good name. A good name. In Proverbs 22 and 2, the Bible says the rich and the poor meet together and the Lord is the maker of them all. And this verse teaches us about respecting other people. They not, may not live in the same social world or economic world or ethnic world that we live in, but he said the rich and the poor, they all meet together and the Lord is the maker of them all. And so we ought to teach our children about the respect we ought to have one for another, even people that are different from us. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and 3, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. This passage teaches us that we must manage our lives. A prudent man is going to foresee evil and hideth himself from that. There's going to be some steps taken. We have to think ahead. And so we have to teach our children that. Verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. And so this passage teaches us the value of having a relationship with God. And then in verse 5, the Bible says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. That word froward means distorted or twisted. And this passage teaches us that you can't do things wrong and expect everything to come out right. So we have to teach our children these principles that must be taught. And then, of course... And then, of course, verse 6, we most know this. Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. And this is an often quoted scripture. And it is a very, very powerful principle that we need to anchor our lives by. Verse 7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Obviously, this is an, a scripture that teaches our children about the management of their money, or what the Bible calls stewardship. And so where do they learn that? They ought to learn that right at home, right at home. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You've got to be careful. If you want something for tomorrow, you have to put it away. You have to put it away. And so in doing so, you're going to be ordering the child. I could go on and on and on and on and on. There's so many things that we have to ask God to help us to do. We need wisdom. I'm not suggesting there's ever been an hour or an era that parents didn't need the wisdom of God to raise children. But I can tell you in the uncertain waters of this 21st century, we need God. We need God like never before. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, and come. We're going to have prayer. Any of your family members that would like to join you, that is completely in order. Amen. Would the grandparents come? great-grandparents come. We're happy to have Sister Ward here today. Now, she's not a great-grandparent by age. She's just a great-grandparent by title. 
Who would ever thought you could be a great-grandmother at 39? (laughs) Would you reach your faith this way? And we're going to pray that God would touch Gage in his life. We're going to pray for Amy and Daryl and ask God to just minister to them in the name of the Lord. Amen. Pray with us. Would you do that? You may be seated. Just when I think God's been too good to me, He gives me another blessing. Good to me. 
praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I always give our parents a letter for their children explaining to them later what we're doing here today. And so when you feel like he is ready for that, I'm going to give that to you. You can share with him, amen, the value of what this moment means to us. This is not just a ceremony. It's not a religious ritual. Amen. We truly believe in just saying, Lord, I'm going to give this back to you. Hannah gave us a great example of that in all the days of his life. And you know what? She didn't just say that in a moment of frenzied prayer. But when the time came, she took him by the hand, marched him to the temple, and put him in the hands, amen, of the prophet, the priest, and said, I am, I am here. And here he is. And so that's what we're doing here today. May the Lord bless you. Let's stand. What a privilege it's been to be in church today.